open our mouth, open our heart, and sing for Him. In your mother language, just sing a song of your heart. Just raise up your voice and sing for Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Sound check. One. Do you have a mic? Hey, hallelujah. 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 Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for this song. This is just amazing because this was a group with two Iranians that came to Israel, and the name of this song. Yes, you can clap. Thank you. I'm just really touched by this. You know, growing up in Israel and in the army, we always hear that the Iranians are our enemies and that they hate Israel. And this song was called Leman Achi, for my brother. And it's a love song for the Jewish people written by Iranians. So I'm just almost in tears here, guys. So. It's such a beautiful honor and privilege. Literally, we can have them the whole night. Agree? Agree. <laughs> So, are you ready to meet the Lord tonight? Are you ready for an awesome night? What's the theme of tonight, Tiffany? Yeah, tonight's theme is Isaiah 19. Okay. So, it's all about the highway and the connection between the Middle East, the Arabs, the Iranians, the Turks, and the Jewish people. Only God can make these connections. Amen? So I'd like to welcome our viewers from God TV, from Vision No Way, and all of you joining us online on the ICJ platform. Thank you for being with us. And of course, everybody here, let's make some noise. We have three very, very special guests with us right here on the front line. We have the first director of the ICJ, Johan Lukov, together. Wait, wait, I'll let you clap for all three of them together because it, it's really, really special to have all of them here. He was the first director for the ICJ for many, many years. And with him is Merv and Merla Watson, who had the original vision of the Feast of Tabernacles. So could you please stand up? and give them a round of applause. These are really, truly men of God, and they deserve it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
So to open uh, tonight, Tiffany, we would like to invite an Israeli pastor of the Ethiopian community. Okay, so, yeah. so he leads many Ethiopian uh, churches here in the land. Uh, it's my honor to introduce Berli Balai. Oh, shalom, 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 the family of God. You welcome to your home, Jerusalem. Welcome to celebrate Sukkot, the hug of uh, just gathering together, with the family of God to be together with the Jewish people, with your people, because your God is a Jewish God. Your people, you, you are the family of Israeli, the Jewish people. So we are one together in Yeshua. So that is the main purpose. You are here is because of Yeshua. Yeshua is born in Jerusalem, Israel. Yeshua grew up in Israel and he died here and he rose from here. And he will come here. I encourage you, you don't, God gave you this a purpose for the ICAGM to make this Feast of Tabernacles for the blessing for the Jewish people, to connect with the Abraham's covenant, the covenant of Abraham. The Abraham covenant, the one who bless you, be blessed. The one who curses you, be cursed. So you are the one chosen to be blessed. I bless you from Jerusalem this evening because the God of Israel said to me, what you blessed, I will bless them. What you say, I will comfort them. Just let me bless you from Jerusalem. Now all together, if you have faith and believe at the master's in faith and receive it, the blessing from Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God of Israel, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of all the creation. We thank you for your blessing all nations coming here to connect with Abraham's covenant, to connect with Yeshua's covenant, to connect with Isaac covenant, Jacob covenant, and also Moses covenant. In the name of Yeshua, I release the blessing to their nation. Let them take the blessing from Jerusalem to their nations. Let them be connected and connected with your fulfilled word of God, word of life. Jerusalem to the nation. Jerusalem to the nation. In the name of Yeshua, I bless them. Their country be blessed. No more corruption. No more, no more corruption. Let them take the life from Jerusalem to their nation. In the mighty name of Yeshua, I send them with full of blessing. As an African woman, she came to see King Solomon and she brought the gift and she receives the blessing and take back to Africa. In the name of Yeshua, I bless them. Let them be the shelter for the Jewish people, all the nation. In the name of Yeshua, I bless them. Amen. God bless you. Receive the blessing. Take the blessing to your home. In the name of Yeshua, I bless you from Jerusalem. Okay, to open the night, we'd like to read a few Bible verses 
about the Isaiah 9 thing and all the highway that I talked about and the connection between uh, Arabs and Jews in the Middle East. I would like to invite actually the singer, uh, Paiman Majtahid, to come here for the Bible reading. I, I got the privilege to get to know him a little bit uh, yesterday, and, uh, and I was really shocked because I asked him a question about leaving Iran because of his faith as a Christian, and before going into the question, he wanted to say something to the camera, and that was, we want to say that we love the people of Israel. We are from Iran, and we love the people of Israel. So. That's true. <laughs> Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the, the plague he inflicts on the nation that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. Isaiah 19 from verse 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my ha handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Amen. Tiffany, can you introduce our next group? They're also very special. I know uh, this group is very special to our hearts. The first time they came to the feast was the year 2019, Yair, and there was a miracle that happened to their nation afterwards. We'd like to call up on stage the Middle East coordinator of the ICEJ, Tom Craig, along with the Egyptian delegation. Yeah, not just the Egyptian. We have a delegation from all over the Middle East, correct, Tom? Yes, that's right, Yair, Tiffany, thank you. We have a, a delegation from Egypt and our two brothers from Iran and a sister from Turkey. So we're seeing the Lord break through the barriers, the gates, to bring Middle Easterners to the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's such a joy to do that. As Tiffany mentioned, in 2019, we had the first group of Egyptians come. There were 16 of them. And while they were here, I think it was the second day of the feast, it began to rain here and in, in, in Egypt. And when the Egyptians finished their time here at the feast and the tour, and they went back 
to Egypt and came out of the airport in Cairo. This was, it was raining, deluge of rain in Cairo. And so we just believe that God was, you know, giving witness to his word that he's faithful. Well, I'd like to just explain a little bit more about Isaiah 19 for you this evening. I'm so glad to have my brothers and sisters with me up here on the stage from Egypt and Iran and Turkey. Uh, it's so wonderful. I love all of them, and they're beautiful. And I just wanted you to see them standing here representing this very prophetic passage about what God's going to do in these last days among the nations of the Middle East as he brings forth his kingdom upon the earth. So I want to start just briefly with a verse from Isaiah 49 before we go into this more deeply. Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. It says, And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you shall be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is Yeshua's com commissioning from the Father as the Messiah, what he would do. He's, he's going to fully restore, as we've heard throughout today, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people and fulfill all of his promises and covenants to them. But it's too small a thing if that's all that he does. He's going to bring the nations in with them to his kingdom in the end. And we're going to see great and mighty things happening in the nations of Egypt and Assyria in the days to come. But these are forerunners, the, the first fruits of what God's doing to bring in the nations, even to join with the Jewish people in this celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, as we heard from Zechariah 14, that that will happen in the time of Jesus' reign upon the earth. So in Isaiah 19, we heard uh, Payman from Iran read those verses. Isaiah 19, verses 23 to 25, we hear about a highway that's going to be raised up from Egypt. So it, it actually originates in Egypt. Something dramatic will happen within the land of Egypt in the coming days where a great move of God will cause revival in the land of Egypt among believers there and from there to the nations of Assyria. And it says in this passage that they will go back and forth to worship the Lord together. That's the whole purpose of the highway. We like to refer to it as the highway of worship because God's going to raise up a highway from Egypt through all the other nations of the Middle East where they will worship back and forth together in their, their nations. But then it says Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. God is going to unite and reconcile the hearts of Egyptians and Iranians and Turkish 
believers in Yeshua, together with those here in Israel, the Messianic and Arab believers here, and we're going to see a great revival and ingathering at the end from the nations of the Middle East and, of course, from the nation of Israel, as all Israel shall be saved when Yeshua returns. So here's a map. We see the different shaded areas of Egypt. Assyria is really a reference today to all the other modern-day nations of the Middle East, including Iran and Turkey, but also Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and even Cyprus as was part of Assyria at that time. So we see these nations will all be part of God's prophetic plan as he reconciles these nations to himself and to one another, bringing forth a blessing to the whole earth. What can we imagine that would be greater than God healing the family of Abraham, reconciling these peoples and nations together through his son Yeshua and what he did at the cross? at the final days before Yeshua returns, that there would be all of these peoples worshiping together the true and living God through Yeshua the Messiah. That's what God's doing in their hearts and in the hearts of believers all over the nations of the Middle East. And we hope to see many more coming in the years ahead to join in the Feast of Tabernacles and to prepare for when the king is here in Jerusalem and they're commanded, especially Egypt is commanded again, to come up and worship the king here in Jerusalem during his reign, his thousand-year millennial reign. So I wrote a book on this some years ago. It's available if you'd like to get it at the bookstore, ICJ bookstore to get a fuller understanding of the prophetic plan God has for these nations. It's beginning, and he will bring it to fulfillment even as he fulfills his plan with the Jewish people and the restoration of Israel unto his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. song now, combining uh, Israeli and German uh, worship together. It's going to be a beautiful rendition.
Porque grande és tu, maravilhas fazes tu, não há outro além de ti. Was that beautiful? That was amazing. Can we give them a round of applause? We had the Worship Symphony Orchestra. We had Saeed Mariaghov from Iran. We had Shiloh Ben-Hod from Israel. We had Thais Shukman from Israel. We had Vesna Bueller from Israel. And we had Siona Adrianli. And I hope I didn't miss anybody, but we had also 
people from Brazil, and it basically was all over the nations together. Hallelujah! Gloria a Dios! One thing about this song, okay? This song is called Ojabuka, and it is one of the most famous songs, worship songs in the Arab world. And we did, we did, Vesna did a little bit of a re-addition to it, adding Hebrew words and other languages into it. So you had the privilege to, to listen to it for the first time here. So. Amen. That was literally manifesting Isaiah 19. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's beautiful. Tiffany, so you moved to Israel to volunteer in the ICJ about six years ago, and you live in Jerusalem. So what do you think about this city? More than three years ago, not six years ago, but Jerusalem, Jerusalem is really a beautiful place. Would you agree with me? Right? You know, the Bible says it's the residence of God. And so really what it is, even if it's not your first time, even if it's your first time or not, or your 10th time, your 10,000th time, mm -hmm. the Bible comes to life. And, and it's really a special place. And so, Yair? Yes, so we prepared a short video for you that will talk about the old city of Jerusalem and all the biblical archaeological sites that I hope you guys had a chance to go to. Shalom and welcome to Israel. I am Ruven Doron with Sarel Academy, representing Sarel Tours and Media, welcoming you today to the Western Wall, otherwise called in Hebrew, or as we say it in Israel here, the Wailing Wall, representing the tears, the longing, the many years, in fact, centuries and millennia of Jewish longing for the Shekinah glory of God. The wall behind me has been the focal point of Jewish prayer, Jewish worship, people of faith from all over the world who try to draw near to the last representation of God on earth according to Jewish tradition. Above this wall is Temple Mount. You know the history and you know the scriptures. The wall behind me, of course, is not one of the walls of the temple or even the wall surrounding the temple. This was a supporting wall that King Herod the Great built as one of his seven fantastic construction projects that he put together all over Judea and Israel back in the first century BC and into the times of Jesus. This wall supported Temple Mount, increased the level of the flat plateau on top of the temple, making it a huge space of about 18 football fields put together. And so the Temple Mount space increased exponentially under King Herod. Uh, the worship picked up to a greater level. Of course, uh, the priesthood, the Levites, the music, the incense, uh, everything became an awesome religious practice into which came the messianic zeal and uh, fervor of the pre-Jesus and the Jesus issue. And so here we are, the crowd round about us represent the crowds that have been coming here for thousands of years. It's always busy. You can show up here at midnight and there'll be some folks praying, nodding, looking to God right at this wall and at these ancient stones. Behind this wall today is Temple Mount and the Islamic shrines and their places of prayer. The Jewish temple is gone. The Jewish priesthood has been put away for a season. 
the worship has ceased and all that remains for Jewish people and actually people of faith of all tribes and nations who draw near to the God of Israel, they draw near to this wall right behind us. The Western supporting wall of Temple Mount that King Herod built a little over 2,000 years ago. A lot of history, a lot of emotion, a lot of politics, and a lot of hassle. Everybody who's anybody in this world will work their way to the Western Wall at some point or another to show their presence to the Lord God of Israel. We are delighted to welcome you to David Citadel, providing a fantastic 360-degree view of Jerusalem the old city, the new city, the new neighborhoods, the mountains and the hills surrounding the city, this citadel has become an age-long symbol of the city of Jerusalem. Her story, her past, present, and future told right here between those ancient stones. Now, it is called David's Citadel, but I would have you know that David had nothing to do with this citadel. In fact, King David died about a thousand years before the first layers of these stones were laid. It was King Herod the Great during the first century BC that actually built this fortress, erected three fantastic large towers to provide complete control over the region. And it was Herod that probably also established his palace here. This was his pattern, this was his style. This is how Herod worked with various of his tremendous building projects all around Israel. And this was the place he established for his rule. This probably was the place where Herod hosted Pilate during that great and historic Passover. And this was probably the place, modern research suggests, where Pilate judged Jesus. Right here, within a stone's throw away, was probably the place where the Gospels describe where the Lord Jesus gave witness of the truth before Herod, before Pilate, and before the whole world for all who have ears to hear.
moço em tuas ruas O som da
What a privilege to be in the city of God, in the city of the great King, the city of Jerusalem. How many of you are glad that your feet are standing in the gates of Jerusalem? Now it is my incredible privilege and joy to welcome one of the key gatekeepers of this very city, 
We are so honored tonight to have with us Her Excellency, the Deputy Mayor of the City of Jerusalem. Please welcome Ms. Fleur Nahum Hassan. It's been a very tough few years. The COVID was tough on our city, mainly because for the first time in our modern history, our friends, our family couldn't come and visit us. So we're so thrilled that you're back. Thank you for coming back. Thank you to my friend Jorgen and all the wonderful special guests from so many countries around the world to come here for the Feast of Tabernacles and show your support for the State of Israel. And believe me, we don't take that support for granted. We know that if I'm the gatekeeper to Jerusalem, like Jorgen says, you are the gatekeepers between Jerusalem and the world. And more importantly, the love that the world has for Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles for us represents, you know, God's message that everything in life, don't take anything for granted. Everything can be temporary. Your house is not necessarily your castle. Only God is your protector. And this is what we celebrate on Tabernacles. And so we're so honored that all of you, you are our shelter to the sometimes horrible hatred we get from so many places around the world. But it's the evangelical community that stand with Israel and that have been responsible for the main developments between Jerusalem, Israel, and the world in the last few years. So again, gratitude and thank you. You know, a few weeks ago, I stood in one of the prayer breakfasts uh, from Bishop Stearns and I was saying that the last portion of the Torah that we read just this week was called Asinu. And Asinu is a portion of the Torah where Moses one of the greatest leaders of all times, writes his kind of parting message to the Jewish people. And one of the parting messages that he imparts, two-part message. One is, you are responsible for yourselves. When things go badly, don't blame God. Don't say, oh my God, something bad has happened. God, it's your fault. No. God is only good. It is us who can create our own reality. And this is the story of the state of Israel. 75 years ago, the Jewish people created its own reality by coming back to our ancestral homeland. But today, today, it is all of you and our supporters from around the world that is taking responsibility for us remaining here. So again, 
Much gratitude. Thank you. And have a wonderful, wonderful feast. Welcome to Jerusalem. Thank you to the Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, Flor Hassan Nahum. We're very privileged to have you here, ma'am. Um, and next up, we have the Worship Symphony Orchestra actually giving their last two songs. And so, shall we give them a round of applause? Straight from Germany. The 40-piece yes. set, along with um, a few local Israeli members from around the city. Dankeschön for Alice. <laughs> Thank you. It was an honor to have you with us throughout this week. And if you guys want to watch them, you can Google their name, the Worship Symphony Orchestra. of words that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song or a song in itself it's not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things are big you look Yeah. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. We sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. We sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your I feel like doing the afterglow already, like. <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Hallelujah. That was a beautiful worship segment. Can we praise the Lord for that real quick? Hallelujah. Thank you once again to our worship symphony orchestra and our feast worship team, as well as the band. Amazing. Hallelujah. You know, Tiffany. Yes, here. Um, the ICJ 
apart from doing this amazing Feast of Tabernacle event every year, they have an aid department because the Bible verse of the ICJ is Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. So, comfort, comfort my people. And one generation that sadly is becoming older and older in the land is the Holocaust survivors. And after surviving the Holocaust and coming to Israel, many of them still live under the poverty line. So we have a, a video explaining the work that the ICJ does with your help and you're enabling the ICJ to do this work to help the Holocaust survivors of Israel to live a better life. Amen. Isaiah 40, comfort thy people. And this will be followed by a special offering message headed by ICEJ National Director of the Philippines, Mr. Stephen Mirpuri, um, who has really been a big mantle and pillar of our prayer initiatives the past years. And so enjoy this video, everyone. The International Christian Embassy Jerusalem represents millions of Christians from all over the world that stand with Israel. Since 2009, we have been working together with an Israeli organization called Yad Ezra Haver in order to establish and run an assisted living facility for elderly Holocaust survivors. Shimon Shabak, who directs today this house, he had a small soup kitchen here in this neighborhood. And he saw that Holocaust survivors were coming to his soup kitchen and he felt if there are needy Holocaust survivors, we need to do something about it. And he asked us to come and he showed us a small apartment where he wanted to host 13 Holocaust survivors. He said, can the Christian Embassy help us to purchase that building? And I looked at the entire building, which was a four-store building. I felt the Lord talk to me and I said, Shimon, why don't we buy the entire house? For me, the biggest miracle was to see within two weeks, people were sending us so much money like never before that after two weeks we could purchase that building. I see that there is a hand in this place. And without ממדרגה ראשונה את הדבר הטוב ביותר שקורה, ולא סתם אה, באים לפה בני נוער, אה, חיילים, שהם שומעים שנוצרים, הם מחזיקים את המקום, הם מתנדבים במקום, זה מראה שאפשר גם את ההיסטוריה לשנות בצורה טובה, והשגרות הנוצרית היא דוגמה לכל הנוצרים בעולם, איך אפשר לעשות דברים אחרת, ואתם עושים את זה גם ככה. As Christians, it's our deep desire to give these survivors who are often lonely a home where they can live out their life in peace and in a loving environment.
לפני שנתיים החלטתי להיכנס לבית הזה. מרגע שבאתי הרגשתי שאני בבית, ובתור אישה מסכנה, ובתור אחת מהשברת השואה חמש וחצי שנה, ראיתי שזה מקומי. אנשים מבוגרים זה כל יום משהו אחר. לא משמם לי, אני יודעת שכל יום אני אקבל והיום יהיה מלא ואני אהיה מרוצה וזה מה שאני מקבלת מרגע שאני נכנסתי. לפני שבאתי כאן אני בכלל לא ידעתי שיש הגרורות הנוצרית מה שעוזרים. יש אנשים שבאים מהרבה ארצות. בכדי לעזור, ואני מודה, מודה עם כל הלב, באמת, לשגרירות, מה שהם עושים בשבילנו. שאחרי מה שאנחנו עברנו, יש דבר כזה, ומשתדלים ועושים בלי, בלי סוף, ואני מלא, מלא, מלא תודה. וזה אני לא אשכח עד סוף חיי. ויש לי חיים מאוד נוחים שלא היו לי אף פעם בחיים עד שבאתי הנה, ואני מאושרת. נודע לי שכל הבניין הזה מאורגן על ידי שגרירות נוצרית בירושלים. והם עוזרים לנו שזה באמת תענוג לחיות פה. תודה רבה רבה, ומקרב לב עבור העזרה שלכם, ואין לי מילים להגיד כמה שזה יפה שאתם עוזרים לנו, שכל כך נחוץ לנו עזרתכם. תודה. was the most devastating experience ever endured by the Jewish people. The ICEJ is working to bring an added level of comfort, support, and security to these remarkable survivors who often still battle depression and nightmares from the trauma of their past. Good evening, everyone. Hallelujah. How many of us are here because we love Israel? 
Amen. Hallelujah. And how many of us are blessed with the excellent messages, with the excellent worship, with the excellent knowledge that we have been receiving, the excellent fellowship and love that we have all been dishing out to one another. How many of us have been blessed by that? Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. You know, Paul talks about this when he was doing a collection from the wealthy Gentile Corinthian church to help the needy Jews at that time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is what he says. In verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. Then he says, through the Holy Spirit of God, of course, that there is another thing that God wants us all, Gentiles, to excel in. This is what he says. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Amen. It is great when we have excellent messages. Our faith excels and soars up. We have excellent worship. And we are here because of excellent love for the Jews. But God says, I want one more aspect of excellence. Excel in your giving. Hallelujah. How many of us can say hallelujah to that? You see, we can give to help the Jews, just as in the time of Paul. But you know, we know about how God says, you test me in this in Malachi. In your giving, tithes and offerings, you test me. If I will not open the windows and the doors of heaven and pour out amazing blessing upon you. But you know what? God is saying here, I also want to test you. I want to test your heart. He says in verse 8 through Paul, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. I want to test the sincerity of your love, of your love for the Jews. You know, we have a saying in English, put your money where your mouth is. But you know with the Lord, the test is this. Put your money 
where your heart is. Amen. Amen. If your heart, in your heart, you really say, I am here because of excellent love for the Jews, well, God says, okay, let me test you. Let me see excellent giving. As he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to test the sincerity of your love and see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Are we giving excellently as we are receiving excellently by being here in this land of promise? Well, this is what God says. If you sow abundantly in this land of promise, the Lord of promise will fulfill what he says to the people who excel in giving to help the people of God in Israel with excellent giving. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And this is in direct relation to the Jews. We use these passages in, in a generic fashion when we talk about Christian giving, but this is in direct relation to giving for the needs of the Jews. And he says, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Amen. So each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. For he tests the heart. Hallelujah. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And this is the promise. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Hallelujah. That the work, the good work of ICEJ will continue to abound. God wants to test our hearts. Will we excel in our giving? And the promise of the Lord of promise in the land of promise is that indeed... He will make you abound. He will make ICEJ abound in every good work to the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's give glory to the Lord at this time with our giving. Amen. Hallelujah. Let it be excellent giving for God tests the sincerity of our hearts. And so let us have this time of prayer. Father, we come before you, O oh God. Yes, we love your people. We love Israel. That is why we are here. And we are partaking of your excellent grace upon us, Lord. Messages, worship, fellowship, and love. Yet you want us to excel in giving and you test our heart, our sincerity in this. So tonight, God, thank you for giving us this amazing opportunity 
Because as we do indeed excel in our giving, we know you have promised that you will give us abundant reaping of grace so that we can be blessed to continue to be a blessing through ICEJ to the people of Israel, to your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Time to prove our hearts to give. of King David in Psalm 122 and we've written a portion in, portion in Farsi as a love song to the Jewish people. Adabranada, 
Abraná Shalom Good evening. Every year, Christian Embassy Jerusalem presents its annual Nehemiah Award to a Christian leader who has distinguished themselves as a strong, committed supporter of Israel and the Jewish people. The award is named for the biblical figure of Nehemiah, whose return of the Jewish people from exile in Babylon, rebuilt the walls of the city, and actually led his people in spiritual renewal. The recipient of the Nehemiah Award for 2022 is the Honorable Muhwing Muhwing, the fourth Chief Justice of the Republic of South Africa, who served in this position. who served in this position from 2011 until 2021, just last year. Chief Justice Mohwing has enjoyed a long and distinguished legal career. He has earned uh, degrees, a, a Bachelor of Laws, a Master of Laws, and a Doctorate of Laws. He has also received three honorary Doctor of Laws degrees from South Africa and the USA. In 1997, he began his legal career as a judge and worked his way up through different positions for the past 25 years, uh, culminating with a 10-year term as the Chief Justice in the Republic of South Africa. He was also elected as president of the Conference of Constitutional Jurisdictions of Africa. In other words, he uh, is a respected jurist across the continent of Africa. He's been a, pro a, a prominent uh, unifying figure among the, uh, across the nation of South Africa over recent years coming out of the uh, COVID uh, lockdowns especially. Uh, as the people have learned, the people of South Africa have discovered that he's not only a great jurist, but he is also a preacher. He's been going around the country preaching hope, helping his people recover from the, uh, the suffering of the COVID uh, pandemic. But also of great note, he has emerged over the past year. This was something that was already there, but it became known to the whole world that he has distinguished himself as a committed, courageous, and principled supporter of Israel on biblical grounds. Last year, he voiced support for Israel and has bravely refused to stand, reverse his stand in the face of tremendous pressure in South Africa to recant his support for Israel.
Therefore, the ICEJ wishes to recognize South Africa's former Chief Justice, Muhwing Muhwing, for his courageous stand with Israel, which has contributed greatly to the just and moral cause of the Jewish nation and people, especially against this false charge of apartheid. May he continue to bless and support Israel and encourage others to do likewise, and we congratulate this year's recipient of the Nehemiah Award. And I want to ask uh, Dr. Jurgen Bueller, our president, and Reverend Malcolm Heading, our former president and executive director, a native uh, South African, to come and present the award, and as they come, we found out that the Chief Justice Mukwing was coming on a personal pilgrimage to the feast. It was very, very exciting. We knew we did not want to miss this moment to award him the Nehemiah Award. This personal pilgrimage has taken him up to the Galilee, all the sites like all of you. And in fact, uh, I have it on good news from Trevor Sampson that he even took a mud bath at the Dead Sea. <laughs> And let's hope those photos don't get out. <laughs> Mr. Chief Justice, please come. Welcome your response, sir. The President of the IECJ, Dr. Jurgen Berla, the Vice Presidents and other leaders of the IECJ, Excellencies, Ambassadors present, fellow believers, I greet you all in the name of my Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. I wish I had time to express appreciation for all those who supported me at the time when I was confronted by untold vitriol and persecution, but time simply does not permit. I choose to see this prestigious and humbling award, this special badge of honor, as a clarion call by God to me and fellow soldiers of Christ to intensify efforts and speed up the process of having our nation of Azania. God says we must call it Azania, meaning God hears, I'm told in Hebrew language. The, nation, the continent of Africa, Israel, and other nations of the earth restored or transitioned to where God wants us all to be. Lest we forget, Jesus Christ says in Matthew 10, 32 to 33, that whoever openly and publicly acknowledges him, he too will acknowledge him before the Father. 
but whoever denies him before the people, he too will deny him before God the Father in heaven. For in truth, it is the apparent need for self-preservation or an attempt to avoid reputational damage, the love for position or power, fame or seemingly good but truly deceptive and manipulative publicity that have led many to deny Jesus Christ and switch allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. This is what the devil tried to do to disconnect me from my destiny, but by God's grace and with the prayers of the saints, I mustered the courage to say, no, I belong to Jesus. I was led to believe that I have a few more minutes than is reflected on the screen, so let me read out what I've prepared. Broadly speaking, this is how you and I can deny Christ publicly and disconnect from our personal and national destinies. John 1, verses 1 and 14 tells us that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. And if you bless Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Israel and their descendants, and their descendants, God will bless you. But if you curse them, God will curse you. All that is reflected in Genesis 12, verse 3, Genesis 26, 4, Genesis 28, 14, and Galatians 3, verses 7 and 6 and 29. A rejection of Jacob or Israel and his descendants is a rejection of God's promises for them, and it is also an attraction of the curse to you who rejects the blessings of the descendants of Israel. Take a careful look at all those who chose to curse instead of blessing Israel and the children of Israel. And you be the judge whether you see blessings or curses instead. Isaiah 9:16 tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Psalm 126 verse 6 commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and promises prosperity to those who love Jerusalem. Similarly, Matthew 5, 9 tells us that the peacemakers are blessed for they shall be called the sons of God. The question that confronts you and I is whether we are peacemakers or strife creators. Whose sons are we in reality? Let us check from the depths of our hearts how we relate to Israel and the descendants of Jacob and what our hidden attitude is towards them. And John 14, 23 says, Jesus, I beg your pardon, and in John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves him, he will obey his word. His word says in Matthew 5, 44, that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. For this reason, you and I should love Israel and love the Jews and love all, including our enemies. Those who hate us, who want to disgrace us, and even those who want to kill us. We must refuse to deny Jesus. We must refuse to deny the word simply because it is considered by unbelievers, the haters and the intolerant, 
as being politically incorrect. Nehemiah was an ordinary child of God, like you and I, an ordinary cup bearer, a wine or drink waiter. Because he loved God, he obeyed the word of God. He loved God and lo he loved what God loved and hated what God hated. He loved the land of Israel and the descendants of Jacob or Israel. Nehemiah fasted and prayed for God's guidance, favor, and I believe for supernatural enablement to restore the people to God and rebuild the holy city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah saw it as his duty to stand in the gap instead of hating, judging, or condemning the children of Israel for the sins that led to their suffering. God saw his heart, guided him, and gave him favor with the king of Babylon, his master. God anointed Nehemiah for the responsibility to restore the people back to God, to rebuild the holy city of Jerusalem, to refocus the church on God. God gave Nehemiah the authority and the commanding voice over the leaders of Israel, and nobody questioned his authority or instructions. They all obeyed him because he chose to obey God. The enemies of Israel opposed the godly assignment led by Nehemiah to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But because he trusted God, prayed unto him, and dependent on God, he accomplished the mission, and those who were the enemies, the mockers and the hateful, said, I quote, I beg your pardon, perceived that this work was done by our God, close quotes. Let me conclude by saying, is it a coincidence that you and I are here during the celebration of the Feast of the Tabernacle? Are we not here as the Nehemiahs of our modern days so that we can reflect and help others in our respective nations to reflect on the kind of relationship we have with God and the responsibilities that we truly ought to be assuming in relation to our nations and even the state of Israel and the people of Israel? Should we not be like uh, Nehemiah and Ezra did, challenging people within our sphere of influence, our communities and our nations to repent, even for the negative and ungodly attitude towards the Israel and the people of Israel? Should we not be asking the Lord to search us deep, to search our hearts, and reveal to us all that we need to be repenting for, so that in this season, the month of Tishri, and in the year 5783, we can do what ought to be done according to the Bible, go back home, lead people in the right direction so that the world and our nations can move from the state of, kept, of captivity to the land of promise and abundance that God is itching to deliver to us. Saints, I challenge myself, and I'm challenged by this uh, award. I challenge all of you to go back home. Let us move from our comfort zone and assume the critical responsibility 
of helping people, of influencing people to play that role that God expects of us to play in this time and this season. May God bless you. We want to say in Kosi by Danki and thank you to the former Chief Justice of South Africa. I hope I say it right, Mukweng. <laughs> I think you did good. Amen. Okay. Congratulations once again, sir. Um, and the next one up, we have Philadelphia Love Sang. Okay. Do you know what Love Sang is? I actually do it here. Okay, yeah. share Why it with everybody. Share it to everybody. Okay, I just learned that love song means worship <laughs> in Norwegian. So maybe we can stand up for this song so we can wake up a bit before this message and praise the Lord. Because this is the whole purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who's ready to worship? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> They're all yours. Line and lamp, eh?
Jesus. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Let's proclaim it again. Who can stop? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord
And it says, shout Jesus from the mountains. And look where you're at. You're on the mountain. You're on the heights. And shout Jesus in the streets. We're in the streets of Jerusalem. You can sing out to the darkness that's holding everyone captive. We can sing the name of Jesus. So are you ready to sing the name of Yeshua in this land and in this country, in the streets, over every dark addiction, over fear, over anxiety, that he can break the bondage, that these people can be set free and to come back to know him. So you're ready to sing the name of Jesus? Come on, let's start to shout the name Jesus. Just shout Jesus from area in your own tongue. Just shout the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, come on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just shout the name of Jesus. There's only one name, and the name is Yeshua. Through him, the same God will get to know his people and they will come back to the King of Kings and his name is Jesus. So come on, let's sing it out. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Come on. Shout Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus Oh 
stop working you never stop you never stop working and even when i don't see it you work even when i don't feel it you work you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you work even when i don't feel it you work you never stop you never stop working keeper in the promised land you are the promise keeper in our lives in our families in our relationships in our neighborhoods in our cities in our countries and in the world you are the promise keeper so we will continue to just lay down our lives before you Jesus and say you can have it all and we trust you in the name of Jesus amen Hallelujah. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Sound one, one, one. Hallelujah. <laughs> that is who you are. Amen. Hallelujah. Tiffany. Maker, miracle worker. Amen. Yeshua, Mashiach. All the glory and honor to our Christ the King. Yair, we have an amazing speaker coming up next for this evening. Yes, definitely. So the next speaker is a man who dedicated his life to create revival through prayer mm. and intercession, affecting the lives of tens of thousands of young people around the world. He is the founder of Lou Engel Ministries. It's my honor to introduce Lou Engel to the stage.
I wonder if I could have lights on so I can see who I'm talking to. Is that okay? Thank you. There are moments in history when a door for massive change opens. Great revolutions for good or for evil occur in the vacuum created by these openings. It is in these times that key men and women, even entire generations, risk everything to become the hinge of history. That pivotal point that determines which way the door will swing. In the Old Testament, some of those key men and women were called Nazarites. Tonight, I want to tell a story about the Nazarite movement. Now, when I speak about Nazarites of the Old Testament, I am not speaking about, uh, I'm not primarily talking about a vow to grow hair or not to drink wine, but they were the separated ones that God would raise up in the times of the greatest crises. He raised them up to shift history. They were the ones that when a nation was in decline, when there is apostasy, he would raise up these Nazir, these Nazarites, and they would literally by their passion, by their focus, by their fastings and prayers, they literally would shift the nation back to God. He is still raising up a Nazarite people in the earth who will shift nations back to God. It says in Amos chapter 2, I raised up from among your young men prophets and from your sons Nazarites, but you commanded my prophets not to prophesy and you commanded my Nazarites to drink, to drink wine. Is this not true, O Israel? And then he proclaimed a judgment. When God begins to raise up a radical young generation, it is not wise to quench their fire. Throughout the history of the Jewish peoples, he would raise up these Nazarite companies, these prophetic companies, and they were literally hinge of history generations. We see three lifetime Nazarites, Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. God raised them up, and two of them were raised up to bring a shift with Samuel a shift from the days of the judges. He was the interlude into the days of the kings. From the days of the incohesiveness of a nation, God raises up a prophet, Samuel the Nazarite, and he literally becomes the bridge of history to bring in the king. Another Nazarite was raised up in the days of Luke, in the book of Luke, and he was raised up to bring in the days of the coming of our King Jesus Christ. His name was John the Baptist. These men were the hinge of history. Tonight, I have come here not to just give a good message, but tonight, I am daring to believe a prayer will be released. 
that will release a new Nazarite movement in Israel who will prepare the way for the great awakening of the Jewish young people and the coming of the king. Stand with me, I wanna pray. Would you stand with me? We lift up our hands and we say, God, you did it in history. You raised up a Samuel, literally, to bring in the King David. You raised up John to raise up King Jesus. And you will raise him up again to bring in the return of the king and his kingdom forever and ever and ever. I pray, Holy Spirit, send a fire. Loose something here tonight that will shift the history of this world. I believe for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the 1990s, I traveled across America in a movement called Rock the Nations. I guess they named it after me. I rock. I've been rocking for 60, 70 years now. I started at age one. I just turned 73 days ago on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm injecting myself into the storyline. 70 years are up. It's time to come out of Babylon. Ah, you think, listen, you've got to do this in your life. You've got to inject yourself into the divine narratives. You've got to see yourself in history. Anyway, we fasted 21 days in preparation for this. I feel like it's Daniel. Time's up. Here we go. We traveled across the nation. We preached on Nazarite consecration and fasting and prayer. Now, I am not talking about just some kind of religious ritual. I am talking about a heart of a man or a woman in Numbers chapter 6. If a man or a woman desires to make a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, the Nazarites were raised up. They were not of the priestly caste. The priestly caste, the Levites, were by their own family calling responsible for the stewardship of the worship of Yahweh. But the Nazarites were the normal dude and do deaths that by a spontaneous work of their spirit desired to be as close to the worship of God as the priest. God would raise these, these people up with an inward desire to be set apart to God in an extraordinary way for the sake of deep intimacy. In Numbers chapter five, we see something called the law of je jealousy, where a bride was tested as to her unfaithfulness to her husband. Listen to me, the law of jealousy, it was so to speak a law of a generation that had turned away from their bridal desire and intimacy with God. But God then raised up the law of the Nazarite, chapter 6, to swing the generation back to bridal passion and pursuit of Jesus as their first love. He would raise these men and women up. It was after the call DC many years ago, in the year 20, uh, 2020, uh, whatever it was, in 2000, I said to somebody, 
There's more revelation to be given concerning the Nazarite vow. I didn't have to wait long for that, for that revelation because that night I had a dream and in the dream I saw a scroll roll down before me and I read Numbers chapter 6 verse 2. If a man or a woman desires, say desires, if a man or a woman desires to make the special vow of a Nazarite, and in the dream, the word desire leaps off the page into my heart. And instantly, I re realized in the dream, it was not the desire of the young man or woman to be separated to God in holy love. It was the desire of God who is hotly pursuing the separated generation. Come on, do you get that? God is desiring lovers, extreme lovers. And it was his desire that was creating the desire of the Nazarite to be separated to God. And in the dream, I begin to pray for my own children. Oh, I love it when you dream the Bible. And I begin to pray in my dream. God, I prayed for my sons. God, hotly pursue Jesse. Hotly pursue Josiah. Hotly pursue Jonathan. Hotly pursue my children. I believe I was making intercession in those days for my own children to be extreme lovers of God, but I don't think it was just for them. I think it was for the youth of America. I think it was for the youth of Israel that there is coming a hot pursuit of God. Who is desired separated ones, not out of legalism, but divine love. And it was in 1999 well, 1996, 1997, <laughs> promise keepers, if you realize who those guys were, a million men went to the mall in D.C. to pray and fast. A week later, I was speaking to 600 young people, and I was speaking on Luke chapter 1, in which I'll go there in a moment. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and I began to prophesy when I held up the picture of the USA Today gathering and I begin to prophesy, the hearts of the fathers are turning to the children, but the hearts of the children are going to turn to their fathers, and there is coming a corresponding youth movement, and it will be a Nazarite, John the Baptist, fasting and pray generation, and when they go to the mall in D.C., it will be a sign that America is turning back to God. I had no way of delivering such a deal. You cannot produce prophecy. Try it. Usually prophecy comes and God doesn't tell you the bad news. Ask Joseph, you're gonna rule the world. He doesn't tell him the bad news. <laughs> Don't you love God? Dreams ache to be told. That's why I tell them. Dreams ache to be told. People say that Joseph shouldn't have shared his dreams with his brothers. My thoughts are, uh, how else is he going to get to Egypt? By the, by the even speaking of his dream, that dream is unleashed to create its own future. I delivered that message, and we had no way to produce that message. And so instead of trying to produce a prophecy, we prayed the prophecy. You have to pray your prophecies. There, we gathered for the next three years, 
high school kids to Colorado Springs. They slept in tents for five days, and for three days they fasted no food. And they prayed that stadiums would be filled in America. With fasting and prayer and a John the Baptist Nazarite preparation for the coming of a great awakening in America. The first year, 650 kids gathered. The next year, 2,500. And in 1999, 4,500 kids gathered to fast for three days, asking God, give us a John the Baptist Nazarite movement. Brothers and sisters, the days of just good prayer meetings are over with. We have to pray to win. We must have a spirit of prayer and times when we go for breakthroughs and we will not take no for an answer. Those kids gathered in 1999. I prayed a prayer that would define the rest of my life. There are moments in your life when you pray a prayer and from that point on, from that, point on that prayer is actually the very thing that you see all your future from those lenses. I prayed, how can I turn America back to God? I didn't just pray, I remembered. Just, I don't know what happened, I just got a hold of him. And I knew for one moment that I had got a hold of him. The next morning I kind of woke up like a mere mortal again. Like who's gonna pay for it? But I knew I had touched God. And a woman came to me a week later and said, you don't know who I am, but the Lord told me to pay your salary this year because you're gonna start something with the youth of American prayer and fasting that will change the destiny of the nation. I didn't know who she was, but I took her money. She paid my salary for 15 years. She's 99 years today. Oh, she doesn't even know who I am anymore. But one woman with a vision of shaping the future of a nation funded a movement of Nazarite consecration, fasting and prayer. And it was at that time my son at age 13 went on a 40-day juice fast. He said, Dad, I, I, I want to fast 40 days on juice and smoothies. Thank God for smoothies. And he said, I don't want to cut my hair for seven months. I want to be a Nazarite to the call. He said, I don't want to play baseball this year. He was the best pitcher in his team. All I want to do, Dad, is run with you and pray for revival in America. I didn't know what to tell the kid, but that morning I was wakened by the audible voice of God at 4 o'clock, and that voice said, America is receiving her apostles, her prophets, and her evangelists, but it has not yet seen her Nazarites. I woke up, and I knew there was a new breed of kid coming to America. Can I say to you, Israel has not yet seen her Nazarites, but she will. Four months before the call, in which, and I'll tell you this story, four months before the call, in which 400,000 young people gathered to fast and pray for 12 hours, we told nobody who the speakers were or who the worship teams were. We've had enough personality-driven religion in America. We need God, and his answer was fasting and prayer. 
They came for 12 hours. It rained. They stayed in the rain. Because we told them, we've taught our children to feast and play, but the times demand they fast and pray. They came to a sound. But four months before that call, literally, I was going to the National Day of Prayer, and behind the Capitol, they were reading the scriptures for three days and three nights continuously from a pulpit behind the Capitol facing the Lincoln Memorial. And they were reading from Genesis to the book of Revelation. You couldn't choose when you would read the scripture, but you could choose what time you would read it. Because I was staying next to the Supreme Court, I signed up for two o'clock in the morning on the third day. As I was walking around the Capitol, as I was walking around the Capitol to come up at two o'clock to read the scriptures, I prayed, Lord, whoever is reading the last two verses of the book of Mark, whoever's reading, I pray that they would pray the last two, uh, reading the last two verses of the book of Mark so I could prophesy Luke chapter one, verse 17. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I walk up to the pulpit at two o'clock. She's reading the last two verses of the book of Mark. And with weeping, I am prophesying. They're coming to the mall. The Luke 1, 17 generation is coming to the mall. It will be that Nazarite generation. And I wept as I read. I had no idea. We thought many, maybe 20,000 will show up, but at 5.30 in the morning, I walked onto the mall in D.C. with the hint of dawn rising, and as far as I could see, the young people had gathered all night long before social media. Great leaders give articulation to that which is being groaned in the masses. We need leaders who can articulate the sounds of heaven onto earth at the time those sounds must be released for mass movements to take place. And at 6.30, the police said there were already 270,000 and the metros were jammed with young people coming to fast and pray. We knew we were in a season of a Nazarite movement that would be raised up. 15 years, 15 years of stadiums and arenas, and we realized that God was raising up this Nazarite movement. It was four months before the call, I had a dream in which I was overwhelmed with the impossibility of seeing America turn back to God. But a scroll rolled down before me, and it said, and he shall go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And in the dream it read, and the rebellious to the wisdom of the righteous. I woke up and the Lord spoke to me and he said, what I'm pouring out in America is stronger than the rebellion. Well, when we did the call Berkeley, I was overwhelmed and said, Lord, it's impossible. The rebellion is worse than ever. It seems like America has lost it. There's no way. 
And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. If it truly was a John the Baptist type movement, you can bet there's a Jesus movement coming. I tell you, John was but a wink of the glorious light that was coming in the person of Jesus Christ. I still have faith for America. For the third great awakening, they'll be swept into the kingdom. I'm believing for New England. I'm believing for the darkest places because we have not yet seen the jailbreak of God that is coming when he unveils himself. I hang on to that promise with all my heart. Turn with me to Luke 1. You know the story. Both Nazarites, Samuel and John the Baptist, were birthed through, through barren women. In fact, the whole nation of Israel was birthed through barren women. It's because it's a supernatural seed. They're a supernatural people. Hannah can't give birth to a child. She's agitated year after year after year. But that woman was studying the scriptures. And she came to a conclusion at one point. God, if you give me a man-child, I'll give him as a Nazarite all his life. I think she had a prophetic revelation somehow that her sorrow and her barrenness was but a picture of God's barrenness who was trying to shift Israel into a prophetic season away from the judgment. God is looking, don't waste your sorrows. He's looking for a barren woman. That barren and produces a prayer that produces a prophet. And today I say that Israel, in many ways, is at a place, though she's fruitful in the nations of the earth, she has not yet received her heart turning to flesh from stone. Something's got to break. And I know there is a woman, and maybe it's ICEJ who will tonight even begin to give birth to a whole new Nazarite movement. This is why I've come here today. It's why you, you heard me preach on this in the spring and you invited me to come and preach. And when you did, I felt as if, you, Lou, you were not going to preach a good message. You are coming to birth a movement that I believe will affect the future of this nation and the nations of the earth. You say, well, that's pretty haughty thinking. Well, we don't know who we are. We are the sons and daughters of God. We need to inject ourselves into the narrative of history. I think she had a dream in her heart that she could somehow inject her noble self into a soul of a son that would change history. Come on. How many parents here have a longing to inject into your children your noble self that they would live out a prophetic destiny? All of my children walk with God. I have seven, but I have a 20-year-old, and his name is Samuel Judah. I'm 49 years older than him. 
It was the immaculate conception. He didn't like his name Samuel, so we call him Judah. But just two days ago, the Lord reversed it again in me because of a lady from Alaska had a dream. We've been praying for Samuel, and he has not yet really got a hold of God, or God hasn't yet got a hold of him, and we're groaning inside. And she said, I had a dream, and in this dream, she said, I saw you were with your four oldest boys, and you were with the prophet Samuel. And the prophet Samuel said to your four oldest boys, your beloved of the Father, go forth and bear fruit that remains. They're all in missions. But then she said in the dream, the prophet Samuel turned to you, Lou, and said, but I'm looking for your youngest, and I will not sit down until I find him. Oh, come on. I wonder if he's saying to a whole generation of Israeli loose youth, I'm looking for your youngest, and I will not sit down until I find In the dream, I began to call his name Judah, but he hid from me. And then I began to call his name Samuel, and he ran out of hiding and ran into my arms. Do you know what I'm doing? Like Hannah wanted a child and God wanted a whole prophetic movement. I want my Samuel. And I think God wants a whole prophetic movement. And maybe he's creating a groan inside of me to produce my own son that maybe I'm believing when I have come here that God will loose a Samuel anointing on the youth of Israel. And a new Nazarite will be prepared to bring in the coming of the king. Give a shout to God. But in Luke chapter 1, when I preached this and prophesied the coming of the Nazarites, chapter 1, here's Elizabeth, she's barren. Verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10 is what's captured me. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. A great New Testament scholar named Dr. Lightfoot researched the readings of the day way back to that moment. Guess what passages they were reading? Numbers chapter 6 and the story of Samson. You didn't get it. Help me now. The whole multitude is praying the story of Samson and Numbers chapter 6, not knowing that Zacharias is in the temple. 
and an angel is, is visiting him saying, I'm bringing forth a Nazarite like you have never seen who would prepare the way of the Lord. When I read this scripture, I am literally going to, I, I, I really can't say it, I'm going to be meeting with young people this week after the Feast of Tabernacles. And I am believing that this week is a birthing place. And when I read this scripture, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. I see EJ, as I shared earlier, is an embassy like Daniel. Through their fastings and their prayers. Thousands of you around the world, what if you took up your Daniel calling? And I felt tonight, the Lord said to me, I want you to start a prayer meeting tonight. And the whole multitude is going to ask tonight for a Nazarite. If I could have that band. If they're here. And you could do that last song. Brothers, sisters, you... I once had a dream... And a man was throwing me his book, flying toward me, and I grabbed it. And the title said, Seizing Your Divine Moment. I've lived my life trying to, to, to seize divine moments. And when I came here, Jurgen, I felt as if this was a divine moment, that these hundreds of people, maybe a thousand strong, would come here and pray a prayer that would unleash a new Nazarite movement to prepare the way for the coming of the King. If I could have that band play keyboard, I want to ask you to come down. We've got 10 minutes. If you want to pray a prayer that I believe will shape the future of Israel. Come and just spread around. I don't think it's just for Israel. I think it's for all the nations. He raises up consecrated ones to swing a Western culture that's gone so far away. They turned them back by their passions, their fastings, and their sacrifices. I preached to tens of thousands, millions where kids had come forward and put their hands on their heart and said, Lord, put a fire in my soul. Oh, that Jesus would say to the youth of Europe, they were not the silent generation. They were a burning and shining torch. Oh, that God would mark the whole earth with a burning, shining torch that will turn their fires to Israel. These were the original Nazarites from the shores of Tel Aviv. To the mounts of Mount Hermon. To Beersheba, Bethlehem. Even now, young men and women are having dreams. Even as we pray, God is going to visit young men and women. 
and a desire will erupt in their heart and they don't even know why. But I want to be sealed with a fire that's stronger than death. Set me as a seal over you. They want to return to the bridal fires of their own inheritance. Many waters cannot quench this kind of love. The waters of secularism, the waters of sexual confusion, the waters of Baal worship, many waters cannot quench this fire of the law of the Nazarite. And if it were not enough, actually, the mother of Samson had to take a Nazarite vow to produce one. Give us a whole generation of men and women. I am in fasting these days and I'm saying, God, give me my Samuel. Make him a Nazarite and I'm praying this. I am asking for the youth of Israel. Oh, are you asking? What we saw happen in America, when I spoke and Jurgen was there and his son that's right there, he did a 40-day fast because he heard me speak about it. There is a grace of fasting. It is the hinge of history. You want to rebuild the ancient walls, he calls a fast. But men and women, this is our days. If all of history is hurtling to a conclusion, the God of Samuel, the God of John, will once again bring Elijah. Elijah must come. That same spirit that will challenge the altars of Baal, of Jezebel's culture in the earth. Oh, this is our hour. I want to pray in the next six minutes. I want you to ask like that multitude, give Israel her Nazarites. Go ahead, lift your voice. Lift your voices today. Lord, we're like that multitude. The prayers of Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Of Hannah. The groan. Loose the groan. Come on, women. Loose the groan. For your own children.
Samuel. I ask for the Samuels of Israel. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Release dreams. Release your voice to your inheritance. Pour out your spirit on the sons and daughters of Israel and all the nations of the earth. Lord, we're crying out to God tonight. Unleash the angels. Oh, Mary, highly favored. Go ahead. Some of you crying out for your children tonight. Hotly pursue them. Lift your voice. I want you to begin to pray. Hotly pursue the youth of Israel. Lord, hotly pursue the youth of Israel.
to come forth this morning. Father, we release a flame of the Holy Spirit, a flame of consecration, a flame of the Holy Spirit that will separate them from this world, a flame that will bring them to their knees, a flame that will bring them into fasting and prayer to intercede for their nations. Father, we release a movement that will be a hinge for a revival here in Israel in the name of Jesus we pray and Father we break down every spirit of laziness every spirit of complacency every spirit of comfort that doesn't want to fight and doesn't want to search the face of the Lord and we release a generation tonight that will serve you and you alone whatever the price will be in the name of Yeshua, hallelujah. Cool. 
Before we sing one more song, let us do something. Please take your right hand, place it upon your head, and say, Father, I consecrate myself to you. I want to become a prayer warrior tonight. Help me to pray and help me to fast. Help me to be a hinge of history for my generation. And help me to change history in every place where you have placed me. I dedicate myself to you. Use me, fill me, make me your vessel. In the name of Yeshua, I seal that. And everybody said, I want to pray. The last day's language of the Holy Spirit is dreams and visions. So much dreams have fueled the, mu the movements of prayer. I want to pray wherever I go, I pray that people get dreams, and so many do. I want you to believe that there's going to be an impartation that he's coming to us. This prophetic intercessory movement has got to be fueled by divine intelligence. That's how to pray. Would you lift your hands? I want to pray. Lord, and you're going to go and you're going to just begin to ask God. But I believe many of you will dream dreams tonight. Destiny dreams. Dreams you set. Callings will come upon you. 
One woman came to me, she said, I've never had a dream in my life. I've never spoken in tongues. I said, Lord, give her a dream. Have her speak it in tongues. The next week she came back and I asked her, did you have a dream? She said, I had a dream and I was speaking in tongues. And I woke up, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, come on ICEJ. Make it a prophetic witness all over the world. Loose dreams, the last days, language we desire. We desire the love language of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night. So right now, I loose dreams. Come on, you don't have to feel it. Reach up and say, yes. I lay hold of it. Your old men will dream dreams. We receive, Lord. We all over Jerusalem release dreams of Jesus even tonight let the heavens be opened you're doing it with Muslims rip the veil rip the veil tonight
Yeah. 